In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed, by Bet Online, and by Pepsi. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Really, really appreciate everything that y'all do to help keep this show going and keep it afloat. So, yeah, it's preview day early because the Lions play on Thanksgiving. So we're going to do the preview show with Sarah Barshop from ESPN here today. And then we will not have a show tomorrow and still figuring out whether to record a show for Friday or not. Probably will. And then we'll kind of see what happens from there as so much of what could happen with the future of this franchise could be dependent on what happens on Thursday. Before we get into the interview with Sarah, and it was a fun conversation, we talk a bit about interim coaching and interim coaches and J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson, I just want to call attention to the story I had published on ESPN.com on Tuesday. Hopefully you got a chance to read it. If you did not, uh, obviously I highly encourage you to do so. It is about the Lions Vice President of Business Development, who's basically one level below Rod Wood, and she's responsible for a lot of the concerts you see at Ford Field, and she is responsible for a lot of the promotions that you end up seeing at Ford Field. She's responsible for a lot of what, in prior years, you had seen as far as like the game day atmosphere within Ford Field. Her name is Kelly Cazole, and she was kind enough to open up her life and her family's life to me a little bit over the last seven, eight months to chronicle a little bit of what has been going on with their family. Now, what's happening there is this. They have a five-year-old daughter named Morgan. Morgan, by the way, who I've met, I got to actually spend some time with them in August as I started reporting this story a few weeks before the pandemic hit and then This story was going to run in April, but the pandemic kept me from being able to do some of the reporting I wanted to. So in August, I went there and got to spend the day with Morgan and with their family. Morgan is this cute five-year-old girl who is possibly the most affectionate, loving, like, kid ever. She's just, like, all about hugs and all about just being friendly. And part of that comes from what's going on with her. And she has a very rare disease called 
BPAN. It's a neurological disease where basically iron ends up growing on the on the brain and eventually gets to the point where any progress she's made and she's developmentally delayed. She, even though she's five and she does go to school, she can only say a certain amount of words. She's up to saying three sentences in a row, which is super exciting. She can only count to 20. There are, there are issues. And basically at some point, and I talk about this a lot in the story, all that progression stops and it all just falls apart. And that can happen anytime from teen years until the late 20s. And you just don't know when, and it's just kind of out of nowhere and it just, it turns and, and that's it. It's it's a horrifying disease. There's no research for it. There's no cure for it. There's no real treatment for it. I should say there's barely research for it because there's a couple of groups, BPAN warriors and then the nonprofit that Kelly Kazol started after they found out, they started earlier this year and they found out that Morgan was diagnosed last year with it. But they started a nonprofit called Don't Forget Morgan, which is trying to get research to try and figure out how to solve BPAN and other um, MBIAs. And they've already had work with Sanford Research in South Dakota, which if you remember Zach Zenner, you'd be familiar with what Sanford, some of what Sanford does because he was doing research there. They have a $140,000 grant with the University of Michigan, and they've also started working with Ohio State, all to try and help solve this very rare disease. And it was a really emotional story to report. I, I got to know Kelly and her family a bit, as well as another family and some of the doctors a bit during the reporting process and, and learn about them. And hopefully you take the time to read it because as much as we talk about football on this podcast and as much as we talk about some other things football adjacent on this podcast, these to me are, are the stories that matter because these are real life stories. These are stories about people and about situations and about horrific circumstances that no one would ever want anyone to endure. And yet people soldier on and people get through and people find the good in a terrible situation. Those are the stories that if you followed me at all for a long time, you know I, I like to try and tell. I like to try and tell the human stories, the real stories. Uh, whether it's learning about Sheila Ford Hamp or telling this story or about Armandy Bryant and his quest to get a kidney and what happens when he does. Those are the stories I like to tell. Those are the stories I've always liked to tell. I do the other stuff. It's part of the job. But when I get to tell a story like this, a story that can actually maybe make an impact, that's what I like to do. So just a little bit on that. And, and hopefully you have not, if you haven't read the story yet, hopefully you find a few minutes uh, to take some time this week a week that's all about giving thanks and, and being about family and being around family to read the story about Kelly Cazole, her daughter Morgan, their family, and and the ordeal that they're going through. A couple things really quickly. Odd transition, but a couple things really quickly when it comes to what could happen Thursday. Kenny Galladay went to a no practice after a limited practice on Monday. Of course, this is all estimations because they haven't practiced and won't practice really much at all this week. But they had no practice Monday, walkthrough on Tuesday. So what you're seeing there is is not great, but maybe that's just kind of a day of rest for him. We'll see, obviously, what happens when 
game designations come out tomorrow. DeAndre Swift upgraded to limited practice. At this point, I'm still not sure exactly how he plays because my understanding is you have to go through a contact practice before you're good or at least a, like a non-contact practice, and he hasn't totally done that. So that's going to be something to monitor. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but at least the fact that he was bumped up to limited practice is a good sign for him as far as recovery goes. Jeff Okuda did not practice, so that's not a great sign for the rookie to play in his first Thanksgiving game. So all of those things are things to watch as kind of things go forward here with the Lions heading into today and then it's tomorrow. But, you know, I'll have cover all that on Twitter and on Instagram. But for right now, we'll be right back after this with Sarah Barshop from ESPN. So we talk a little bit about the Lions, a little bit about the Texans. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are one of them. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. And let's be honest, if you're watching the Lions right now, you probably need something to get you through what you've been seeing on the field. And Pepsi is that refreshment you need to power through any game day, even Lions games. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year, only 
500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein show usually does not have to work on Thanksgiving, but this year she drew the short straw. Sarah Barshop covers the Texans for ESPN. Love having her as a colleague. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, all right, you have been living interim coach land now for a little bit, and let's just start there. What is it like having an interim coach versus the full-time head coach who started the season? Because I think some Lions fans at least are thinking that this could happen here if things don't go well for the club on Thursday and you've been living this life and seen this for over a month now. I think you get the kind of the immediate jolt from the team right away. You know, everyone talks about that. There's this different energy in the locker room and on the practice field. And it's not celebrating that the old coach is gone, but just someone else is bringing his ideas and in different practice schedules and stuff like that. So I think immediately there's a lot of excitement around the team, just like what could be, what it, you know, was it the coach's fault? Is the play going to immediately change? Now I'm sure as you know, that a lot of cases when there are coaching changes, it doesn't make the team a lot better. This coach got fired because this team is bad. And just because you have a new coach probably is going to make a big difference. But I do think the, the first couple weeks after that, um, you kind of see a different side to these players, even when they're just talking on a Zoom call. Was it more, because it's interesting, with Lions players, you kind of hear a lot of resi- resignation right now. Was it like that the first couple of weeks, or the last couple of weeks before Bill got fired in Houston, or was it so early in the season that it wasn't that level of of kind of sadness yet? We saw, we see it and still do actually from JJ Watt. He's never really had, he's, he's gone through losing seasons. He's gone. This is now his third coach, but it was different this year. I mean, Owen three, he, he got to play his brothers. They played the Steelers and he got to be on the same field as his brothers for the first time ever. And after the game, he was like, I'm sure one day I'll look back and it'll be cool. But right now I'm just upset that we're Owen three upset is not the word he's used. Um, but you know, he just like, his answers are getting shorter and shorter. And I, I, told everyone um, the last couple of years, like, I can always count on J.J. Watt for a great, great quote. He, no matter what happens in a game, he is there, he's very professional, and he answers your question. It's not been so much the case this year. I mean, you can just tell he's, like, dejected after losses. And so he actually, the day before Bill was fired, after the Texans lost to the Vikings to drop to 0-4, he said, you know, something has to change. Now, I don't know that he was calling for O'Brien's fire or firing, but something certainly did change the next day. Um, when O'Brien was gone. But yeah, for him, I think, and he's a leader on this team, so I think that is important. But from him, we saw, I mean, even 0-2, he was he was pretty down. And then especially after 0-3, he was uh, sounded pretty dejected in those interviews. How has he been since? Um, uh, let's just say I asked him a question about something, about his brother on Wednesday, and he just said, I asked him two different questions, and he said, I don't recall. I don't recall. I was but like, things are going well. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's just never, I, I think he's realizing that, you know, he told us himself, like, I know I don't have another 10 years left in this league. And I think he's, he's always thought that he'd end his career in Houston. And I think he's seeing as the season goes on and he sees what maybe the next year and the year after that look like just based on the lack of draft picks, the veteran salaries, including his own, you know, on the books, I think he's realizing that maybe I need to go somewhere else. And I think you're kind of seeing that in, in the Zoom conferences. It's interesting you mentioned that because I was going to ask that. Is that is there that feeling from J.J. Watt that maybe this year might be it for him or next year, at least in Houston? Like, are you starting to get that sense? Because it's, it's similar it's similar in some ways to Stafford, obviously quarterback versus pass rusher, but that's kind of a similar conversation that's potentially happening here with Stafford. So I was just wondering how you gauge J.J. Watt in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I, as the season goes on, it just seems like it makes a lot of sense for both sides to part ways after the season. I don't know how much the Texans would get back from him. He has one year left on his contract, but it's a very big, it's a very high contract. I think it's $17.5 million next year. Um, He's still very good. He batted down four passes on Sunday, but he's not vintage J.J. Watt. Um, he's been injured a lot the last couple of years. And so I just think that it, he doesn't want to go through a rebuild, and he said that. So I think that if the Texans, even though they have Deshaun Watson, if they feel like they are going through a rebuild and this next general manager comes in and this head coach comes in and decides, you know, we maybe won't really compete next year and this is the last year Watt has under contract and he doesn't want to resign after this because this is not where he wants to be um, just because of where the team is. I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides to send JJ where maybe he wants to go or, or somewhere he can play and, and win because he's never won. Um, and then just for the Texans not to have that salary on the books and maybe just get a fresh start in Houston. So one guy who will be there for the foreseeable future is Deshaun Watson. What's he been like this year? Because even in a bad season, it looks like he's still playing at a very high level. Yeah. I mean, we asked him actually um, a couple weeks ago, like, is this the best football you felt you've played in a long time? And he said, yes. He said, you know, my rookie year, I was on a roll and who knows what would have happened if I hadn't torn my ACL. But yeah, what I've done this season is the best I felt, you know? And so it was actually interesting. We talk about JJ Watts demeanor and, and Deshaun has kind of been the opposite. You know, he's like, it's just football. Like, of course, it's really important. And I want to win, but like, I'm not going to, it's not going to take the smile off my face. I want to go out there and I want to have fun and I want to win. And basically being upset about it isn't going to change the fact whether we win or lose, you know, like I choose to go out there and, you know, be joyful. And so he's been really the bright spot for this team this year. Will Fuller has as well a lot because of what Deshaun Watson's doing. Um, and I think when you just look at this team and you, and you, you watch them that really the way he's played is not indicative of, of the Texans record. I mean, they're three and seven, but he can't do it all himself. Um, but I, he almost did on Sunday against the Patriots. He had, I think the Texans had 299 net yards. And I think he accounted for 300, sorry, 399. He accounted for like 390 of them, like all but nine, whatever the number was. And I think that's just kind of like, they have no run game and it's all been on him. And yes, they've only won three games, but he's, he's been playing really well. You mentioned no run game. That trade for David Johnson, I was one of the people who actually was like, maybe that's not the worst deal in the world because David Johnson still has some potential. How I feel like I was probably pretty wrong there on many levels when you see what DeAndre Hopkins is doing, but what has David Johnson given this team this year, if anything? Before he had the concussion, he wasn't hurt, so he gave them some consistency there. 
but I mean, the running game really just hasn't been good. And I think, you know, when we talk about this Hopkins, they're like, yes, that's not a move you make at all. But I also think the bigger problem is that they took on David Johnson's entire salary. So it's not, you know, if you're going to say like, oh, we can't afford to pay Hopkins in this new deal he wants. Well, really shouldn't be paying David Johnson $11 million either. So he certainly has not performed up to that contract. He, he's on injured reserve right now because of a concussion, but he just, they're, they're running. He's had a couple of good games, a couple of, a couple okay games. And just overall the, you know, there's been no consistency um, with the offensive line and the, you know, the run blocking with what they've been able to do. And, and Romeo Cornell actually was asked about how the effect, the lack of a running game affects Deshaun Watson. He was like, Sometimes someone's playing so well that you don't even need a ground game. And I think that tells you exactly what you need to know about this team right now. <laughs> so, so they have their run game is basically non-existent, even though, even though the lions can't stop anybody running the ball. I mean, maybe this will be the week that they break out then if that's the case. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's been pretty bad. Now Duke Johnson, you know, a lot of the thing was like, well, maybe if he is the guy, maybe he'll get this chance and he'll run with it. Um, but through two weeks, that has not been the case. So um, I think the Deshaun Watson, I think, had 36 rushing yards on Sunday. And I believe the running backs combined for 18. So, yeah, not that's, so, not so much there. Stuff there. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Will Fuller before. Is he now, you know, it seems like every year he plays well and then gets hurt. Is this maybe the most consistent he's been? this year and his does he finally have that maybe rapport with Deshaun Watson that like has been teased so many years absolutely I mean I I think you just see the confidence in him too because he has stayed healthy um you know this I actually saw him I think he Instagrammed after the game Sunday he said this has been like I've passed my career receiving yards in a season already in week 12 yeah um and so yeah so I I think there's just so much more confidence there. He stayed healthy. He hasn't dealt with um, hamstring injuries that have kept him out for weeks as he has in the past. I mean, he's had bad luck too, right? He broke his collarbone in, in I think, 2017. He has torn his ACL, you know? It's like some of those things. It's not just being injury prone. Like He just had some bad luck too. So I think the fact that he's been able to stay away from the soft tissue injuries this year has been a big deal for him. And I, I just think that I don't think it was ever a good thing that DeAndre Hopkins is gone, but I do think he is the number one guy here. And he has, I think, taken taken that role seriously. And, and he and Deshaun Watson have a lot of chemistry. And I'll be really interested to see if he does come back after the season. Their receiving core as a whole has, I think, way more talent than people maybe realize. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually was just telling my husband this the other day, like, I know this would not have happened, but if you add Brandon Cooks with DeAndre Hopkins and that's your top three, I mean, think how good that group is. You have those three guys. Now they added Randall Cobb, who I don't think is going to play on Thursday. He's a toe injury, but you have this, you have so much talent and Cooks has been excellent. Now I'll be interested to see again what they do with him because he's got a pretty high salary next year. Um, Kenny Stills hasn't done much, but Cobb has been pretty solid and, and Will Fuller has made up for a lot of Hopkins production. So, you know, the Texans have never had depth at receiver. And so this year, yes, they got rid of Hopkins, but they did kind of fix that. Um, and again, it's probably because Will Fuller has been able to stay healthy. 
But I, I do think on paper, this is a really good offense, a good passing game anyway. Has anyone asked, I, I, maybe they have, maybe they haven't, has anyone asked Deshaun Watson when he sees how good Will Fuller has been, if he ever thinks about what it would be like to have Hopkins and Fuller together healthy for a full season and what that could have done for this offense? Because you have to think that might have been the best passing offense in the league or what second or third behind like Kansas city. Yeah. Yeah. He's talked about not that specific, but specifically, but he has talked about like how great it has been to have fuller healthy and, and how, like we've talked about, like there are these teases in the past and you'd have these big games, you have a three touchdown game or just con- you know, constantly just catching these deep passes all season, you know, and, and, they just haven't, they haven't had that consistency from him. And so Watson has kind of said, you know, like now we're seeing it and like, look how great it is. You mentioned JJ flipping over to defense. You mentioned JJ Watt at the top and we were talking a little bit about him. Where is he as a player now? Because like you said, he's not vintage JJ Watt anymore, but like where, where is he as a player now? You think? He's not playing as much as many snaps as he was before, but I think that's been a good thing. I think they've done a good job of managing his load. Um, again, he was very effective. He had his best game of the season, I'd say, um, on Sunday. So I think we see it in spurts. Like I think in his, when he was winning Defensive Player of the Year, he was consistent. That was the guy you were getting every week. I think that's maybe not the case as much. Um, and because there's not a lot of other pass rush help on this team, teams can pay all their attention to J.J. Watt, which I, I think doesn't help him as well. Um, but so while he may not be a consistently elite player um, in, in ways that we see on the stats sheet anyway, I do think that he can make game-changing plays the way he did on Sunday. And I, I think for as long as he'll, he's playing in the league, I think that's what you'll see from J.J. if he's healthy. Are teams still really doubling him a lot, especially like you said, because there's not as much maybe pass rush help as there has been in prior years? Yes. And I think we saw, we saw it especially last year. Um, I think because, so like when he got hurt, Whitney Merciless had, had been very effective at the first half of the season and then JJ got hurt and all of a sudden Whitney wasn't really doing anything. And I think that was kind of us seeing, oh wow, look how much attention that the teams are paying to JJ. In their secondary, it looks like there's talent there, at least from a name perspective. How have they been playing, whether it's Bradley Roby or, Justin Reed like how how is that actually worked out this year it's like they've just you know they get they get close like it's like bending 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 and then breaking and I mean this is the same defense for us. I mean the same secondary essentially that let Patrick well, I know it's Patrick Mahomes but let him him and the Chiefs come back in that playoff game the Texans are up 24 nothing and the Chiefs scored 51 points in that game and it's that secondary. I really, there were not personnel changes, except that Gary on Conley has been on injured reserve all year and probably won't come back this season. So there's some talent and, and they have hopes about Lonnie Johnson, who was a second round pick in 2019. Um, but it's just, there's no consistency there. And they certainly played their best game of the season against the Patriots on Sunday. Um, but I just think that the pieces haven't clicked. And I just think that they didn't do enough to upgrade the talent there this offseason. And they kind of depended on some guys getting better, especially Lonnie Johnson getting better. And I just think that's a lot to ask from, from some of these guys who don't have the ex- experience to do that. You know, like I think it was a lot of depending on a lot of unknowns, and I just don't think it's panned out this year. You mentioned the playoff game last year. 
how much do you think is different with this franchise if that second half doesn't happen against the Chiefs? Like they oh. hold on, they 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 win, you know, which everyone thought they looked like they were gonna. I mean, honestly, I don't know. If, I don't know if they're winning the Super Bowl, but I, I I do believe, especially after Tennessee beat Baltimore. I mean, I think we all kind of thought, like, do we need to be booking trips to Miami? Like this. I mean, they had the way they'd come back in those playoff games. They looked like a team that was clicking at the right time. Um, I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins is still here if they win that game. I mean, if you're if you go to the Super Bowl or even the AFC, I mean, they've never been to an AFC Championship in team history. So if you can go to that game and I mean, I don't know that DeAndre Hopkins is trying to get out or trying to get paid to cause the Texans to trade him. You know, I just think it's, it's a lot different when that's not how you view when, when that's your last reminder of a season, um, the coaching staff, the players, I just think it's a totally different mindset coming in in 2020 than, than the way they lost in such a like, a lot of players have said, you know, a devastating fashion. Do you think that the way that this season started for Houston was in some ways hangover to that? I mean, you always hear that, like, the team that loses the Super Bowl, there's that giant hangover. And I think you see – obviously, San Francisco had injuries this year, but I think you've seen that a little bit with them. You saw it with Carolina after they made the Super Bowl. Is, is there some of that or was there some of that, you think, early in the season at play too? I mean, maybe. I think the biggest thing was the schedule, though. Um, you know, they had really three really tough games to start the season, Kansas City, Baltimore, and then the undefeated, Steel, you know, now undefeated Steelers. So, I mean, I think a little bit because they had come back in that Buffalo game, that first playoff game, and Deshaun had played so well. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is they got off to a slow start. Um, they just didn't have as much talent as they did last year either. Um, even just, I mean, take Hopkins off any team and – they're a lot worse without him. So I think the biggest thing is they have off to a tough schedule and it's just hard to get out of that hole. Now they've come out of 0-3 before, but not with it. I think that other team was way more talented than this one. So I think, you know, a lot of the players talk and not being in the building, I don't think helped either, right? Like the first time they were really on the field together was training camp. It's a lot different when you come off that super or that playoff loss and then you've got all OTAs to get back together and build that chemistry. So I think they had this combination of new pieces and the hard schedule and just, you know, not enough time because Brandon Cooks has looked really good later in the season, but it took him and Deshaun a little bit to get, to get, build that chemistry and, and kind of get on the same page. So I think they had a lot of moving pieces and I don't think that helped either. Guy I want to ask about who's more of a special teams guy, although he's a start of thinking the beginning of the year is AJ Moore. How's AJ Moore been this year? Because obviously his brother, CJ Moore, they're going to play against each other here on Thursday in a storyline that nobody is probably talking about except on this podcast because of what's going on with the Texans and with the Lions right now, where if both these teams were like six and five, that probably would be a big storyline. Instead, yep. eh. <laughs> yep, yep, that sounds about right. Um, I, so a lot of people, when they talk about A.J. Moore, it's just his energy and his attitude, and he's just that – yeah, he was playing on defense – and uh, but even just on special teams, like the energy brought to the team and practice and everything. Like, I know that sounds so cliche, but that's really when people talk about him, that's kind of how they see him. And, and just even being at training camp and like hearing him and talk, you know, he yells over and says hi. And like, I just think there's a lot of enthusiasm there. He got hurt um, and was on IR. And so I think that was, you know, 
that was a bummer for him and for the team. But I know I think the when you think and maybe CJ is the same way, but I think just the energy he has is what stands out stands out about him here. You wrote about the, about the two of them last year. What did you learn about them that maybe people don't know? Just like you know, we all know everyone comes from a different place and a different background, but hearing that them talk about their family in that community. I just think was was pretty incredible, you know, just to learn about something, you know, Vassville, Mississippi, what a small place. They've produced three NFL players. Um, Cause Cornell Armstrong's also on the Texans. So the three of them um, will all be, be in Detroit for the game. And so I think that's pretty cool. And uh, just was a really unique story to tell. And I'm looking forward to hopefully resurrecting that before the game on Thursday, because I think that's, that's a cool thing that maybe people have forgotten about, or like you said, don't even realize the connection because of how these two teams have played. So where do you think, because this will be a conversation that's going to happen a lot on this show in December and then going forward, but it's also relevant in Houston. Where do you think they go next? Like, where do you think their end of the season takes them? Well, you know, we've talked a lot about this because it's, they're in a very unique situation. So it does not matter what happens the rest of the season. So I, I, Romeo Cornell's attitude has been, let's win as many games as we can, you know, and that's what Deshaun Watson's attitude has been too. And, and a little bit at, you know, I, some of these rookies probably aren't going to get as much playing time as other three and rookies on three and seven teams would. Um, But, you know, Cornell's not, you know, he probably is not going to coach after this season and, and he wants to win and these players do too. So I think it's, it's a, it's a unique situation in that a lot of teams are probably trying to tank if they're in the Texans, you know, in their situation. But I think we could see, I mean, after they beat the Patriots, which I picked them to win the game, but I, I think if I had looked at the season as a whole, that's not one that I would have picked them to win. Um, so I think, you know, they've got three wins, five or six is definitely possible. I mean, the, Joe Burrow's not, it's not, not going to, you know, be there when they play Cincinnati. So I think it gets to the point, maybe you have six wins and look, that's not what you want, but it, it's certainly, I think, better than winning two games this season, um, especially because like I said, the draft pick isn't effective. The other interesting thing there is, do you think that because there's no GM in place and because it's absolutely, there's not even that conversation of, Hey, you know, let's aim for something. But again, not having the draft pick probably alters that too, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that like, they're going to do what they can. And I mean, like I'm telling you, Romeo Cornell is like, I asked him about like some of the other guy, younger guys seeing playing time and like said, like, is it one of your goals to just kind of see what you have for next year, you know, for the future? And he was like, nope, I want to win. Like Isaiah Coulter, he was their fifth round pick. He's a wide receiver. And I, Actually, if Cobb doesn't play on Thursday and if still doesn't play on Thursday, he might be active for the first time. But he was like, is he better than uh, Will Fuller or Kenny Stills? Not right now. So he's not going to play. And so that's the attitude. And so I think, yeah, I agree that having no general manager kind of puts that more on the coaching staff to make that decision. I do think if there's a GM there, maybe there's a conversation of, okay, but we do need to see what we have at wide receiver because we have a pivotal offseason deciding about the receivers view on the roster. Um, but I, yeah, I think because there's there's no of that none of that presence right now that it's kind of on Romeo, and that's the route he's chosen to take. So what's I mean, what's this look like for the franchise in the future? Because as you were talking about, they don't have first round picks because Bill O'Brien traded them away. They might not have JJ Watt anymore, but maybe you can get picks for JJ Watt. Like, 
Is that, you think, where this thing goes, where they almost kind of do what the Dolphins did a couple of years ago, where it's like, hey, everybody except for Deshaun Watson, what, what's the best price type of thing? Um, I don't know. I, that's actually something I'm very interested to see. I think a lot of that's going to be what the whoever they hire, the general manager they hire, wants to do. Um, I think Cal McNair probably, you know, he doesn't want to rebuild, but I think he also understands that where they are is not a good situation. What I see, I, I think because Deshaun is so good, and yes, it hasn't translated into what many wins this year, but I do think they're also playing a first place schedule. Now Jacksonville probably is going to finish fourth, but they're playing a third place schedule next year. You have an expanded playoffs. You know, I, I just think they're at the point where like, it's not too hard to imagine that they're at least in contention next year. And two years from now, you know, if they have a pick, you know, all of a sudden you do have Deshaun Watson to build around. Now, of course, they've kind of wasted these four years, five years of his rookie contract, um, which I think is probably the biggest mistake Bill O'Brien, you know, made is not being more aggressive in, in building around him and winning a Super Bowl when he was still on his rookie contract. But you still have Deshaun Watson under contract. And I think that's the big thing. You have Larry Tunsil under contract. So yeah, maybe JJ Watt won't be around um, for the next playoff push. But I, I, I do think that, the rebuilding process will maybe be easier than other teams because they already have that quarterback. And yes, they're paying them a lot of money, but there's still ways to find value at other positions. And at least you don't have to do it at left tackle or at quarterback. You, you mentioned Will Fuller, obviously, whether he'll be back next year or not. Do the injury concerns with him, you think, make it more likely or less likely that he would return to Houston? And do you think they would potentially tag him? to kind of just keep him around and see if he can be healthy for another year before deciding to pay him? So before the season, I would have told you there's probably no chance he's here because I thought it was, you know, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. Either he plays so well that he prices himself out of Houston, which obviously you want him to be healthy and have a great season, um, but then you probably can't afford him. And if he gets hurt, could you afford to sign him? Yes, but like, do you want to pay some? That's, that was their hesitation by not extending him earlier is because – they didn't know what they were going to get out of him. Um, now, he and Deshaun have a lot of chemistry and a, a good connection. And maybe he does choose to be here. But I just think that with the salary cap concerns, unless they make keeping him a priority, um, I just think that he's going to get a lot of money somewhere else. Now, I, I don't know the answer to the franchise tag question. I don't think the Texans do either because they haven't hired their general manager. I mean, I think they're going to let him make the decision. So, um, I mean, maybe, maybe they do that. But I, I think more likely if they felt that he was, you know, they had been dependable enough this year with his health. And if they felt like that's what they could get out of him in the future, I think Cal McNair would like to keep him here. But again, like, does he want to go, does he want to go to the, with injury concerns, does he just want to go to the place where he's got the most guaranteed money? Cause I don't think anyone would fault him for that either. I don't think anyone would fault any player for that yeah. at this point, <laughs> without a doubt. So, I mean, for you at this point, I'm just curious from a reporting perspective, do you almost kind of sit back and say, all right, I know my January and February are going to be more intense than anything I do in November and December. So do you kind of almost flip it? Or do you sit there and say, well, you know, I kind of have to start doing all this research on these people now because I know that X and Y are going to happen. I think I look at it as like the day to day and week to week stuff doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, right? Like 
I don't really need to write about like the Texans run defense anymore in general, because like, does it really matter if they beat the lions or lose to the lions? Like it just really doesn't. Um, so because of that, I think I've kind of taken the big picture approach, right? Like what does this mean for the franchise? Is there a player who's going to be here long-term that would be a good person to feature, uh, like write a feature on is, you know, is there that kind of thing? Like who are general manager candidates I'm hearing? Maybe I could reach out to some people and talk about that. Um, you know, let me do as much reporting as I can to figure out who those people are going to be. And so I think it's kind of not that like, I just think it's totally mindset switch from like, like, honestly, I was telling my editor today, like I, he was like, Oh, who do they play in two weeks? And I was like, I, I would have to think about that, you know, because I just don't, the day to day and who they're playing just doesn't matter as much other than first, you know, maybe there's a, a good story idea, but for the most part, it's like, once the, the, the game is over, then I think about who the next opponent is because I'm thinking more big picture right now. Cool. Well, the last question I got for you is what do you think actually happens on Thursday between these two not very good football teams? I think the Texans are going to win. Um, and I think that if they play anywhere near the way they did last week or on Sunday, I think that this could be a little bit of a route by the Texans. And I have not said that sentence at all this season. But I just think the way Deshaun Watson has played, I just think that, I mean, we, as you were telling me a little before we recorded this about what the Lions offense looked like um, and what their defense looked like, actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> against the Panthers on Sunday, I think maybe this will be the game that the Texans kind of show like, okay, Deshaun Watson's really good and it's very evident on the field and, and just in the final score. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because the Lions had on Monday at least 16 players on their injury report. Now, that doesn't mean that all of them are going to miss the game, but of the guys who were no practice, DeAndre Swift, Danny Amendola, Kenny Galladay was limited practice, so you don't know. And they're not, pra they're not practicing on Tuesday either. They're just having a walkthrough. So you don't know what you're going to get from these guys, but they're a beat-up team. And that, that's without the fact that they're just not very good. <laughs> so this could be a very sloppy game is what you're saying. I mean, yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, it could. And here's the key, Sarah, when it comes to covering any Lions game, and I can give you this and I'll leave you on this. If you think – if the Lions are up and you think that, like, you can write your, your instant <laughs> analysis, don't. John Kime learned that. Learned that. He learned that a couple weeks ago when they played Washington because I sat there when they were up 24-3 and I was like, and they're like, oh, what do you got? I'm like, this, but don't discount that this could all unravel here really quick because that is the MO of the Lions. And so that would just be one piece of advice to you uh, on Thursday before you go eat what I'm assuming will be a very good Thanksgiving dinner, which is, you know, don't, don't get too comfortable too quick. Even if, even if Houston's somehow losing. Sarah. That is good to know. And I will take that into account as I, uh, I'll stop myself from finishing my instant analysis. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you took something from it. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation with Sarah Barshop. You can follow Sarah Barshop on Twitter at Sarah Barshop. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. 
And you can obviously listen to this podcast and follow me there as well. Thank you all for listening. And since we won't talk with you tomorrow, I want to say a happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope that you're able to watch the Lions play if you want to do that. And if you don't, I totally understand. And hopefully you come back on Friday and listen to what we have to say about it. Thank you all in this week of giving thanks for listening to this, for making this podcast a little bit more popular, for sharing it, for leaving five-star reviews, for leaving five-star ratings, for leaving kind reviews, even the not kind reviews. Thank you for all of it. Thank you for reading. Thank you for everything. I really appreciate it. And with that, have a great Thanksgiving, and we will talk with you probably on Friday.